Hello, Christine. Welcome to this third podcast from World Vegan Athletes. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me to your show. I really appreciate it. My name is Christine Bardaros, and I've been a professional cyclist for about 20 years and also a vegan for about 20 years. And there's just no coincidence there, as you can imagine. I started off my cycling career when I was in New York City. Actually, I found the bicycle because it was like the easiest way to get out of the city on the weekends. Because if you're living in Manhattan, it, you pretty much live there, vacation there. You don't leave the island. And with the bicycle, I was able to catch a ride with other people. And all I had to do was just suffer for two to three hours on the mountain bike, which is the first bike that I began with. And then after I was busy with the mountain bike, I finally discovered road racing and then ultimately cyclocross, which is my absolute true love. And cyclocross, for those who don't know what the sport is, it's kind of like a steeplechase where you're, it's a timed event and you do the same lap over and over again. And it's timed to be about 45 to 50 minutes for the women and one hour for the men. And you jump over barriers with your bike. It's a winter sport, so you're also riding in sand and mud, rain, ice, sometimes all in the same exact race. And, that, and I love it. And I can tell you that thankfully for my vegan diet, I'm able to get the most out of my body to eventually become, at one point I was sixth in the world, steady top 20. I've won a lot of international races and I can tell you that it's because of my diet because you can only go so far with your genetics and then how you train the body. And then the third part is diet. Cyclocross or Feldriden as we call it here in the Netherlands or in Belgium probably. It's a sport where you do cycling and also some running. Is it not difficult for people who are used to cycle to, to run as well? Actually, it's, a, it's really difficult. And people don't realize that as soon as you jump off your bike to jump over a barrier or run up a steep hill with your bike on your shoulder, that your heart rate just shoots through the roof. The second you get off the bike, it's like, bam, you feel it sometimes. And then when you get back on the bike, you have to fly back onto the saddle and then sprint away. And that's really challenging, especially because uh, you're already at max heart rate, beyond max heart rate. And then you have to hop onto your bike and sprint away. And it's brutal, but you just kind of shut your mind off, shut your pain off, and you just do the job. And, and that's where the diet comes in because you have to have 100% to do well in the sport. 98% and you lost the race. So every bit of percentage counts, especially with a, a technical sport like cyclocross, where you have to pay attention every single second because you're riding in mud, you're smacking against other riders, you're smacking against poles, you're going down treacherous descents in knee-deep mud on skinny wheels because a cyclocross bike looks like a road bike, but it has uh, slight knobs on the wheels usually and a slightly longer wheel base for a slightly steadier ride but it's still basically a road bike that you're flying down descents on and flying around in sand and mud and ice how did your trainings look like did you do also flexibility endurance speed strength and how do you divide your time between those uh, qualities or maybe i missed something what we typically do is uh since it's a short race it's, it's not like when i had to train for road racing when i've done the tour de france i had to do training rides of like five to six hours. For cyclocross, since it's a short sport, the training rides are usually one to two and a half hours, sometimes only a half an hour if it's super incredibly intense that's on the bike. During the season, we'll run maybe one time a week at most. Uh, 
active before the season, we're usually running about two times a week. And the runs are, it's sometimes it's just relaxed runs. Other times it's runs with intervals where we're literally sprinting up the same hill on foot 20 times in a row. And did all cyclocross athletes do the same kind of training or is it really different each team or each individual within the team? Well, it really depends on where your strengths and your weaknesses are. Normally what we try to do is like everyone, we try to work on our weaknesses in the off season. So for example, if your weakness is riding in sand, then what you'll do on the off season is try to go to a sandy beach one time, one time a week and just do figure eights. Just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, ride around and get used to riding in the in the sand where you can't force your front wheel where it goes. It just has to go and follow, follow the uh, the ruts, the spores in the ground. And the or if your weakness is sprinting after after getting on the bike, after getting getting back on the bike, then what you'll do is you'll do short interval sprints and you'll just practice that over and over again. It really depends, but typically it's about 15 to 25 hours. Uh, a week of training and then on on top of that we're also doing on the off season we're doing two two sometimes three times a week uh, upper body training not to build muscle just to make sure that our small muscles that we do have because cyclists typically have small upper bodies uh, that it's really effective and really strong and can manhandle a a bicycle no problem when you have to run around and flip it on your shoulder and then flip it back down be steady uh, and we also work a lot on our core because that's what keeps you steady on the bike and in cyclocross where one one centimeter can make the difference of you standing or falling it's uh, it comes down to the core how strong do you sit on the bike how stable are you actually i think core is important for almost all sports and even for non-sports too even just like bending bending down to pick something up off the ground so many people underestimate uh, an actual like way to do that they just think oh, i'll just bend over at the you know at the waist and just pick it up off the ground instead of taking the time to do like a mini squat to pick something up but after time if you continue to pick things up off the ground poorly then eventually you're going to get back pain if you especially if you don't have a strong core it's it's amazing like even in the real world i'm finding that all the practice and all the training that i do for sports like helps me to be healthy for the rest of my life did your training change a lot over time yeah well i also went from mountain biking to road to cyclocross and uh, and i can tell you as soon as i switched to cyclocross when i went from mountain bike first to road i remember that uh, all of a sudden i had to do much longer rides uh, to make sure that i'm prepared to do long road races which could be up to six hours but then when i switched to cyclocross then all of a sudden i noticed that I had to incorporate running. My trainings had to be shorter but more intense and uh, and I really needed to rely a lot on my body whereas you know in a road race it's it wasn't really that necessary to have a strong upper body. In fact, if you see if you see cyclists, if you see a, a road rider versus a, a cyclocross rider or a mountain bike rider with their shirts off, you'll notice that a cyclocross riders and mountain bikers have way more muscle tone on our upper bodies. It's really incredible to see, but it's also because we use it because we need to be able to move the bike around and be in control. But on a road in a road race, you're mostly just hanging on. So it's made 
genuinely just core. And the real muscle men and women are on, on the track, I guess. Ah, and the track racing. Well, that depends actually. You have really skinny. If you watch, if you watch the track races, like Six Day Genth or any of those, you'll notice that the, depending on the event that they have to participate in, they'll have wildly differing upper bodies. The guys who are doing the sprinting races on the track, wow, they look, they look like cartoons. It's unbelievable how big they are. Their legs are massive. Yeah, it, it really looks like like Popeye, you know, like it's like it looks comical. But if you see the guys that have to do the the long distance, they're they're skinny like me. Well, not skinny, trim. <laughs> We don't like to be called skinny. <laughs> How is the dynamic in a team? Uh, you are uh, both competitors and colleagues. Uh, how does that work out? Uh, well, cyclocross is more of an individual sport. Although on different different teams, I I have done teamwork with other teammates. But it's mostly an individual sport, just because of the track. It it really just separates the the strong from the weak or the ones with technical skills for that terrain, such as riding in sand. You have sand riders, and then you have those who just, they just bury themselves in the sand. <laughs> they don't go very far. So cyclocross, there's not much teamwork going on. Road racing, it's pretty much all about teamwork. Uh, if you don't work as, work as a team, it's very rare that you're going to win unless you're just some superhero, which you see sometimes like races on TV. Yeah, we could name quite a few. <laughs> What's your favorite race? For road racing, I typically like the undulating terrain because I'm not a pure, if you took me and put me in a climbing race, I mean, actually I have won climbing races, but not against the best in the world. But, uh, but if you put me in a climbing race with the best in the world in a pro race, just climbing, I would come in maybe half, you know, in the half of the field, 50%. And the same if you put me in a completely flat race, then that's also not going to be my strength. So undulating, like three minute climbs, max that's where i really excel like strong short punchy stuff and i can climb up what's really interesting is uh due to technique purely technique i can climb up the steepest hills 30 no problem and it's a uh, yeah so that's probably my strength Uh, what's the race that made you most proud? You know, that's a that's a really interesting question. And I've been asked that lots of times. And I think every time, depending on my mentality, it, where, my, where I am in my head, my answer is different. Part of that is because one thing that a lot of cyclists or any kind of anybody who's driven in their lives suffer from is that we're always our own worst critic. We're always beating ourselves up so much to the point that we can't enjoy our victories. We can't enjoy our steps that we take. We, we just keep on wanting more and more and more and we never take a moment to reflect on what we've accomplished what we can be thankful for and uh, and that's something that i i also suffer from i remember one time i won a race and i was so mad at myself that i didn't win by two minutes that i only won by one minute 53 seconds i really was devastated i couldn't sleep the whole night and it's something that it's uh, but it's also what makes athletes who they are that strong drive that's just unbelievable that it really makes a difference of whether you win or lose so with that said yeah i've had some really wonderful moments one was a, a cyclocross race where it was a double again two races they were both category one races so just under world cup level and the first race of the weekend i came in 13th i just had the worst legs i thought and then after i crossed the finish line i realized that i must have i must have knocked something and my brake was completely blocked the whole time <laughs> 
So that was not my favorite race. But the next day, I was able to somehow overcome that trauma of only coming in 13 and win the race. And I won it five centimeters. And I, I was just so happy, not that I won, but that I was able to believe in myself after having such a crappy day the day before and getting over that trauma, which is something that's really hard for us to let go because you're only as good as your last race, as they say in cyclocross or in any kind of sports, really. Especially when Belgium, where you're judged by your last race. If you have one poor race, everybody says, oh, she sucks. <laughs> yeah, it could. you could be five-time world champion, which I'm not, but... <laughs> But I could be five-time world champion, and if I have one bad race, they're gonna say, you suck. Uh, maybe also uh, you need to have some bad days to appreciate uh, the good days even more. I don't know. Uh, you know, when, when you're talking to professional athletes, we just, we want them all to be good days. <laughs> That's like something you tell the kids. <laughs> you know, the part about, uh, you know, failure will make you stronger. It's like, no, 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 we actually want all good days. We appreciate all good days. Something a bit different. How is it to be vegan in, in a team? How do other you, your colleagues respond or your competitors? Well, in the beginning, it was it was really really not fun because any day you did have a bad race, anytime you you were performing under par, first thing they do is they point to your diet. They say, "Oh, well, that's not working very well." One time I was racing a, a mountain bike race and I just had a really crappy day. And I went to the supermarket afterwards and I was really questioning my diet. This is, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, right in the beginning. And there was nobody for me to look to, to say, ah, oh, yeah, that works, only my coach. And he was also vegan, he went vegan with me. And, um, but I really questioned, I was like, oh, I had a crappy day, maybe it's this diet. So I walked over to the fish aisle and I was thinking, because that's the first thing that vegans do is they, they say, okay, well, fish is okay. You know, they, they suffer as much as the rest of the animals. That's kind of what we think in our minds, which is completely not true, but that's how it goes. So here we were standing in the fish aisle and I was thinking, okay, I'll get a fish. And then just when I'm standing there, a competitor who, kicked my butt that day she walks by and she goes yeah you suck today and I said yeah I know she said it's that broccoli diet of yours and, I said, yeah. and she walked away so here I am thinking okay I'm gonna get some fish so I called up my lifeline which is my coach and I said coach I'm standing here in the fish aisle sweating bullets I am thinking to get fish he said peanut step away from the fish aisle go back to your hotel you know make yourself some pancakes or something get on the trainer and race tomorrow and I listened to his advice and the next day I did amazingly well top 10 at a at a World Cup and I kicked the butt of the woman who called my diet broccoli diet so I was very happy <laughs> and ever since then I never looked back again at my diet I am 110% sure and then the times after that with other teammates I, I remember in the beginning they were all kind of questioning my diet but wow when it came around to stage races that was really where my diet shined because every day I wake up and I feel fresh as a daisy ready to tackle smiles at breakfast and then by the end of the stage races, they were all eating what I was eating. So it went really well. Actually, I like the name Broccoli Diet. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty funny coming from like this tattooed mountain biker chick, you know, who's like won, won so many World Cups and World Championships and wears a piranha, a dead piranha on her neck. In fact, you know, it's really funny. It was five years ago. I haven't heard from this woman in years. We were never close friends. Five years ago, she finds me on Facebook. She writes me a message and she said, hey, just wanted to let you know that I switched to your broccoli diet. <laughs> 
She said, now I get it. <laughs> Had to be like this. Yeah, change is happening. It's just, I would always like changes to happen more quickly, you know, and I do everything I can to help push for those changes, just like, a, you know, tens of thousands of us around the world who are all, you know, making extraordinary efforts like you to make changes to affect changes so that way we live in a vegan world soon enough but um, but it doesn't go quick enough for me but hearing things like that and I've heard from so many other pro athletes who've contacted me you know after after we separated ways or I don't see them anymore to say hey I I'm now vegan and I get it and can you give me advice on this that the other so it's happening it's just not at the point where everybody is vocal about it especially in cycling because in cycling you have to blend in you have to be like everyone else because if you're different if you stand out you better be winning every race otherwise don't stand out the, <laughs> the world of cycling because it's just not there yet uh, do you have any tips for athletes who want Want to get more out of their nutrition or their diets? Um, well, the one the one thing that I that I am one million percent certain of, and advice that I've given to everybody who's starting, is the only step you have to make is just remove remove the meat from your diet, just like take your plate and just take the meat off the plate. You don't have to substitute. You never ever have to substitute to get enough protein. Literally for protein, you have to be in the third world and starving to death to, death to be protein deficient. But then again, you're starving from everything. So you never ever have to go out of your way to get protein. Never, ever. Every single thing that grows out of the ground is complete protein. So there's no, you don't have to do protein combining, you don't have to do protein shakes. And the reason why bodybuilders uh, love protein, and they, they should, is because it dehydrates you, which shows all your muscles really clearly. And that's something that people misunderstand. They think, ah, well, I want to build muscle, so I need more protein. No, no, no. You can eat your front your front lawn and you'll still get like 18 to 28% protein or something like that from grass alone. Not that I'm recommending everybody go eat grass, but <laughs> so, but that's one thing. And the other thing is something that I really think you get a lot out of. It's not quite nutrition, uh, but it's called intermittent fasting. And that alone, like just skip breakfast and you don't have to do it every day. You don't have to do it, you know, consistently, uh, but just kind of clove compact your, your eating window every day. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of different ways to do it. But what I do mainly every day is I eat no more than like eight hour window every day, which means 16 hours of fasting. And during those 16 hours, you can, you know, you can drink a coffee, a tea, no flavor, no sugar, no milk, no calories basically. And, uh, and that's a really easy way to build muscle, lose fat without doing anything, which is, yeah, that's what we all want in an ideal world. And if you want to actually get an extra step of benefit from from your intermittent fasting wake up in the morning if you do a hit and a hit is a it's high intensity interval training it takes only like 20 minutes so maybe a three minute warm-up and you can do this you can do this running you can do it standing up in your living room literally you can do it like you know like running in place so you do three minutes warm-up and then 30 second high intensity and that 30 second i do it on my bike because i have a my bike is on the stationary trainer indoors at all times and you just hop on You do 30 seconds high intensity and then 30 seconds easy or 
nine or up to 90 seconds easy, which is probably the way for most people to start. And then 30 seconds hard, 90 seconds easy, 30 seconds hard. So you're doing basically eight intervals of the 30 second hard, 90 second off, and then three minute cool down. You could also do it doing jumping jacks in your living room, running in place in your living room. You could do whatever gets your heart rate up. But if you do that, then you actually increase your human growth hormone production by up to 2000%. And that's where you build muscle. That's anti-aging. It's it's everything that we all want. So anyway, that's uh, it's not quite nutrition, but it has to do with nutrition. And that's what I recommend to everybody. Thank you very much. I have two more questions. What are your plans for, for the near future, for the coming coming year? Uh, yeah, with a corona happening that like like a lot of us it put our our nicely laid out plans on its head so I was supposed to have a race in China last September, but with with Corona happening, I kind of started doing a whole lot of other things. I couldn't go on training camp in Spain. I, a lot of times, like even riding was just like, it, anyway, it just, it wasn't a very good period for a lot of us. But what I ended up doing was I ended up working a lot more because I, I'm a writer in the cycling industry, copywriter. So I ended up having working more. And then on top of that, I also started something that I never thought I'd ever do in my wildest dreams is become a baker. A, a cafe locally here in Leuven in Belgium, they just sell like regular vegetarian cakes, but they never sold really vegan cakes that that were very good until I started baking for them. And, uh, and now I'm introducing through my baking so many people who would otherwise never eat a vegan cake to veganism and that's yeah that's another way to change change the face of the universe one cake at a time so yeah so i'm baking like two two to four cakes a week it's pretty pretty funny but it's fun to be able to spread the vegan joy in my own town here and that's it cycling i'm not at this point i'm not sure because i also have a, a lingering back issue and and i've raced through the back issue for years just because i want to use my my racing as a way to promote veganism but yeah once corona hit and i wasn't sure if any of the races were going to go on then i kind of lost my motivation to to train hard especially if every time i do a hard training i have back pain so what i decided to do is just take this whole this whole year off and then maybe start racing again this upcoming september if everything goes back to normal and people are safe and races are safe then i'll start racing again because i'm starting to nail my back pain finally i'm starting to figure out a way to train without pain that's the most important i think and racing is not exactly the healthiest thing to do <laughs> for a body. The last question, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, maybe any social media or other ways? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's think I think that's where I post most things. And I also have a, a Facebook page, two Facebook pages. And yeah, that's pretty much about it. I stopped using Twitter. <laughs> so. Instagram is probably the easiest. Okay. If anybody ever has any questions, they can always reach out to me. That's no problem. I'm, I'm contacted quite often privately from people with like questions about diet or sports. So feel free to contact me. I'm always available. Okay. Thank you very much. 